You are listening to The Report, a Cherry Hill Fire Department podcast, where we interview active and retired members of the CHFD, as well as special guests to capture the history of the department, stories from incidents of consequence, insights into leadership and human perspectives of the job, and lessons learned. Welcome to The Report. September 6th looked to be just another day in the CHFD as we conducted training for the B platoon at the platoon level. Ladder 24 was setting out from their quarters shortly after lunch to head east for the training when a tree service truck drove erratically past them in the construction zone along Route 70, taking out construction barrels and nearly hitting them in the process. Ladder 24 began to pursue the vehicle and radio it into CHPD. The rescue company and much of the field command office listened from the kitchen of threes as events unfolded and were narrated in real time by Lieutenant Justin Brown. While pursuing the vehicle, they watched it head into oncoming traffic at Route 70 and Kings Highway before jumping the median again and crashing through the front of Lakeview Dentistry, an occupied medical office. The interview you are about to hear was conducted at the kitchen table of Ladder 24 in which its members, along with Battalion Chief Halk, reflect on their decisions and actions that day. This is part one of a two-part series looking back at the incident. Part two will be released in the coming weeks and will include the accounts of Rescue Company 13 and further reflections by CHFD members on scene that day. We hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Shotzi. And this is Sean Carlin. And we're here for the report. We're here in the kitchen of Ladder 24 with Ladder 24B Group to review a significant incident that they recently had on September 6th, 2023. Here with Lieutenant Brown, firefighters, Holmes, and Borelli. So guys, this one was a little different, right? Kind of happened right in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lieutenant Brown, how'd, how'd that go? Yeah, it was interesting. We were pulling out, getting ready to go to training, and uh, firefighter Holmes said something along the lines of what's going on, and it sounded like we were about to get hit, and that's when he saw the... Uh, commercial vehicle racing down the construction lane, barreling right towards us. So it was definitely different. For, for reference, Route 70 has shifted right now. Uh, it's pretty common to see cars going through the construction zone in front of the firehouse, but this guy seemed to be going a little faster than normal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you almost got hit. You start following the guy, then what? We see him uh, start to swerve, start to hit a bunch of the construction cones that are set up, the barrels. It uh, looks like he goes headlong into the uh, div- uh, divider, median. Uh, then we hit the lights. We just figured we'd go follow him because we figured he had just crashed. Mm-hmm. Get up to uh, Kings Highway in 70, and he's actually di- he didn't crash. He's actually stopped at the red light, but inching forward like he wants to cut the traffic. Uh, inches forward through and then goes into the oncoming lane. So he's traveling uh, eastbound in the westbound lane in their construction uh, lane with head-on traffic coming. So now we're just assuming he's going to hit somebody at that point, plows into a million of the cones and uh, the traffic stuff, and then makes a beeline right across the grass median and into the building. So he's going the wrong way in Route 70, maybe realizes what he's doing, cuts across, back across the the eastbound lanes and crashes into a building at at right around 70 in Kings. Uh, Yes. Uh, I don't even know if it was that he, he knew what he was doing. It looked like he was erratic from the beginning, like he was yeah. going in and out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was 
he was doing easily 60, 70 miles an hour in the construction zone. Sorry. Yeah. He shot back over into 70, almost like he recovered a little bit, mm -hmm. and then he, he hit the median. And then that's when Lieutenant Brown was like, ah, light him up. He started getting on the horn with County, and from there he just disappeared. We didn't see him again until uh, 70 and Kings. And Zach, you were driving? Yep. So he cuts across. So you already let the county know what was going on. He cuts across the highway. You see him crash into a building. How do you, like, emotionally, how did, how did that make you react? Because normally we don't kind of watch these things unfold. So how do you think watching such a significant incident begin like that uh, affected, like, your, your mental state or your state of mind? I would imagine that you're more amped up right off the bat. Normally when we get the, uh, the tones, you know what you're going to to a certain extent so you can play out. You know what I mean? Like, we're very policy-driven, so I can play out what my first two, three actions are going to be or should be. And in here, you didn't really have any time to think. Once you saw him hit the building, you were like, oh, we got to go. Mm -hmm. so, definitely more amped up. Bradley, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, so this is probably, I mean, so what have you been here, four months now? Yeah. So you, you've gone to a couple fires. This is probably the most significant incident you've been to yet. Yeah. And to watch it happen right in front of you with no time to prepare, uh, do you think that kind of changed your initial actions? Do you think you were more amped up or, or did it not have an effect on how you, how you acted? Um, I think it happened so fast. And when we got off the truck, it almost just seemed like any other call. Mm. Holmes got off. We grabbed the extrication equipment. Lieutenant Brown started getting the size up of everything. Um, ball started helping me uh, chalk the truck. And it just kind of, it, it, it did seem more chaotic because we were the only ones there for a little while. But um, it kind of just seemed like uh, any other call, just a little more amped up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to reiterate what Lieutenant Brown said, we didn't really have any time to prep. You know, normally when you get, it comes over to CAD, you can see comments and you can start mentally preparing. Like, all right, yeah, this is what I'm going to do first. This is what I'm going to grab. You had no time at all. It was holy shit, that guy just went into the building, yeah. let's go. You have to act. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was no downtime or, oh, let's do this, let's do this. Everybody got off the rig and was doing something productive. Yeah, it, it was, it, at that point, it was more about intuition than orders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Definitely. All right, so you see this thing crash into this building. Lieutenant Brown, what, what's, walk me through your, your initial actions. Uh, my initial actions is I'm, I'm getting off the rig after I make the call to county. And I'm thinking, all right, life safety. Let me see if I can get a good size up of this. Let me see if he's entrapped. Let me see if I have to start the rescue or I could just pull him. Um, also, I'm thinking life safety into the building. Mm -hmm. um, How bad into the building was it? See, this is the funny part. So I've been on a bunch of them where the cars are into the building, and the intrusion's not really ever that bad. Uh, and from the, the driver's side vehicle, when I'm looking from the driver's side, it didn't appear to be that bad. It wasn't until we got into the building where that entire passenger side, I don't know, uh, quarter maybe, quarter of the cab and the passenger side had, had gone into the building. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was the, the worst part, like the worst one I've seen that actually went into the building that I've been on anyway. Okay. Um, so that's my initial thing is just life safety. Can we get this guy out? Do I need to fill the rescue box? And is there anyone else inside? And to Zach's credit, he jumped off and he – right off the bat said, I'm going to go inside and make sure no one was hit inside accountability for the people inside. Mm -hmm. So I already knew we could take that off, ran up, saw that he was in and out of consciousness and that he was entrapped. 
And then my initial thing is to get the rescue box out, get all the resources coming. Okay. Borelli, what about you? What did you do when you first got off? Uh, when we first got off, um, me and Firefighter Ball started getting the extrication equipment, just chalked the truck. I uh, got the spreaders. We just walked to the passenger side, tried getting the handle open, saw that it was uh, he was entrapped, so we popped the door, and um, we thought it was going to be just door pop, be able to pull him out, and when we saw the extensive damage to the dash to his legs, and we realized that it was going to be a little more than just a door pop, and that's when I believe Holmes came back out from the building, and um, he started operating tools with me, and that's when we started uh, getting into that part of the operation. Mm-hmm. So Zach, you, you went into the building, made sure everyone was okay in there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> little weird for me as I'm a new chauffeur. So I'm running through all these different things in my head that I should be doing as a chauffeur, you know, and I'm like, all right, well, let me put my gear on. And I only put my jacket, helmet and re- extrication gloves. Cause I'm like, ah, it's, guy went into the building. We're going to work on him, you know? I saw by the time I got up to the car, the the door was popped and they were working on the guy inside. I looked at Lieutenant Brown, said, hey, I'm going to get some eyes on the inside. Thankfully, nobody was underneath the vehicle inside. And thankfully, it was lunchtime. So the the two women at the front desk, I asked them how many people could be in the building. They said, ah, it's just us two up front. Might be like two or three people in the back. So went to the back real quick, said, hey, if you guys are in here, just get out. By that time, I made it back to the front of the building, and I was looking at the passenger compartment to see if I could get through to the victim of the the driver. And, I mean, it was just – there was so much impingement. I couldn't get through there. I couldn't reach a tool through or anything because at this time, we all realized that his foot was still on the accelerator. This guy was unconscious, pressing on the accelerator. I mean, it was was starting to smoke up a little bit, but none of us really realized – except for maybe Firefighter Ball, who I think he he grabbed the initial uh, front bumper line, stretched that. When I came back outside, uh, Lieutenant Brown said, hey, give me water in that line. I was like, oh, holy shit, I didn't realize this was out. Jumped into chauffeur mode, put it in pump, filled it with water, set it to the pressure, came back up, and then I, I started helping Borelli try and get this guy out. I mean, uh at that point, I don't think it was smoking that bad to where B-Ball uh, started opening the lineup. But Borelli was like, yeah, this, this dude's legs are pinned. Like, we, we got to do something to, to relieve the pressure from the dash. Um, we were able to use the spreaders to lift the dash and free his left leg. But um, at that point, we realized, like, this thing this thing's going to go off soon. So B-Ball started hitting it. Borelli's on top of the guy trying to to pull his leg free. At one point, he jumps out. We just start yanking on this dude to try and get him out because he's, I mean, he's Borelli was taking a good feed at that point, and because the truck was smoking. Yeah, the truck was smoking. I mean, it was it was it was close to to igniting. So at this point, some additional resources start to show up. Right, the battalion shows up. The rescue's getting there, uh, and then the thing lights off. Yeah. Uh, battalion shows up. It's still smoking, but it does, it's smoking like it almost looks like steam, but it's starting to come a little heavier, a little faster. And you're like, oh, this is probably, this is probably getting ready to light. Uh, I go over to, to give him a face-to-face on what we have with the entrapment. Um, at this point, 
uh, he asks for a uh, an extinguisher, and which I didn't realize, which I found out later, is if he were to shoot the extinguisher into the intake, it probably could kill the vehicle. Mm. So I've heard that from two different people already, which I didn't realize. Mm. I'm thinking, well, we got the line here. It's charged. I don't know why he's asking for that. but So in my mind, I quickly say, I know he's here. I know the rescue is pulling up because I can see them pulling up. I'm like, let me see if I can get inside that building and try and jump in the passenger side that that firefighter Holmes was talking about and just see if I can get, because I hadn't seen it yet, see if I can get my hand in there and try and kill this ignition before this car lights. I get in there, I look, like he said, it's heavily, heavily stuff all over the place. I couldn't couldn't even make it near it. And then I see the bottom of the car light off like flash, uh, and then I see it starting to travel up, up the building. Right, so then I'm running out now trying to get my firefighting gear on because all I'm thinking is if this extends, right, like it's going to push back on this car where this building is lighting off, like they're, they're going to lose this, this, you know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. not going to be able to get them. So we started from there. I come out. Uh, Captain Hauk, who was a safety officer that day, had already pulled a line and was trying to protect the uh, passenger side of the vehicle. And then we redirected the line inside the building to try and uh, put out the building fire so they can continue the extrication process. So this is, at this point, a very rapidly... Yeah, changing. Changing and becoming a much more complex incident. Do you Can you think of any other experiences where you've been the boss, at the initial boss in an incident like this where things were ramping up this quickly? Um, no, not on an actual call. Yeah, no. so... No. So you didn't really have any prior experiences to pull on. So everything you're doing at this point, you're acting on intuition. Pretty much, yes. And for Zach and Borelli, kind of the same thing, right? Like this is your first time being in a situation like this. And a lot of what's going on isn't, uh, aren't coming from direct orders. You're acting largely on your intuition, correct? Yeah, 100%. I mean, what can I say? I can say there is that there wasn't a lot of direct orders given. Mm-hmm. I mean, based on the, I mean, we're very policy driven in the training that we get. I mean, everything played out as smooth as smoothly as I can, you know what I mean? Figure as smoothly as I could have asked for. So, so let's continue. The battalion's there. The rescue gets there. The truck is on fire. So, I, from what I understand, Borelli, you were kind of in the thick of it at that point with Captain Dorenzo from the rescue. Can you talk, walk me through that? Yeah, we were, um, well, for a second there, me and Holmes were still f- trying to free it up. And I think when Holmes noticed the rescue was there, him and firefighter Jackson, that's when you guys started to get the grip hoist. So, yeah, yeah. So, Captain Dorenzo actually told me to to step back from that and, and just work with Dominic Jackson for for other purposes. Yeah. Try, maybe try to pull it away yeah, yeah. from the yep. building. So uh, the, Captain Dorenzo came up next to me with Botch. And uh, he was super calm, came up. He said, hey, what do we got? And I uh, tr- just explained to him his right leg still pinned from the dash, from the building being on the dash. And uh, the rescue brought their tools with them. They got the uh, hydraulic ram, the bigger spread, so that helped out a lot. And um, at this point, the cab's full of smoke, so we really can't see exactly um, too much inside the cab. And uh, at one point, I hopped in there just trying to maybe uh, turn ignition off, but also trying to just free his leg up, like just forcing it out. And um, that's when the flames were sort of just coming through underneath. And that's where this guy was starting to actually get, catch on fire. And I think at that point, 
ball started to knock the cab with the line, and he was just hitting me and the, the guy. So that cleared it up fine, but I couldn't really see or breathe or anything, so I had to come out for a second. And um, Botch went and grabbed his SCBA so that he could operate, no problem. And he took over the tools for a minute while we got, I guess we got some batteries changed or whatever. And uh, Captain Dorenzo, see at this point, I didn't really have a B plan, a plan B of what to do. Cause like you said, I've never been in a situation kind of like this. You know, I was just thinking we, we roll the dash, but we can't because the building is on the dash. We can't lift it up. And uh, Captain Dorenzo, super calm, just said, hey, let's cut this post right here. So we um, grab the cutters, cut low, cut high. On the A post? On the B. The B, okay. And um, now the rescue hydraulic ram has a way longer spread. So now we could, we're, he said to spread, I think Botch grabbed the ram, spread it from the A post that was against the building. And we spread the B post back just enough now for this guy to come back in the seat. We cut the bottom of the seat, which freed up a little more room. And then at, uh, a little bit after that, I guess, hopped in with the spreaders. And I guess my thought process was if I could spread against the dash, I could push the seat down just enough, which, you know, looking back on it, I probably should have done that right away. But um, just to spread the seat down a little bit, there wasn't a lot of room and I don't think it pushed down that much. It pushed a little bit. Maybe that helped free him up. I don't know. Because we really couldn't see too much. I couldn't really tell how much it was actually given on the seat. And then, uh, yeah, I stepped out for a minute. Botch started finishing some more cuts on the bottom of the seat. And that's when we started moving them out. And at this point, Lieutenant Brown, what, what were you up to? At this point, I'm in the uh, building with Captain Houck, uh, and we're, he's got the nozzle. And I'm acting as the control guy. And then uh, he puts a knock on it and says he needs uh, hooks for someone to pull the ceiling. So I'm running back to the truck, grabbing hooks to come back and try to finish hooking. Also pretty exhausted at this point. <laughs> so so all everything that's going on is very decentralized. Like yeah. you, have to, you have to have the confidence in your company to know that they, what they're doing is the right thing and they're not going to get themselves in... in trouble or in harm's way so that you can they can operate independently of you yeah yeah so i think the only uh person we haven't talked about here is firefighter ball who was detailed to the company that day uh you guys mentioned that he pulled the line Uh, jb what what can you tell me about what else he did uh so you know he's acting as my irons guy so that's not even in his wheelhouse at that point i mean he's obviously an engine guy through and through um but he pulled the line. He was able to hold back the fire as they were doing the extrication process. The ladder runs out of water. I believe he grabbed two or three cans, was able to continue to fight it back with the cans, and then pulled the bumper line off of the rescue when the rescue got on scene to where he eventually extinguished the the fire, the car fire, after the victim was uh, extricated. So just to recap, you guys see... This dude driving down the highway erratically, crashes into a building, becomes trapped, truck catches on fire, leads to an all-hands building fire, and for a large part of the incident, you had four dudes to do it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) So two things I would like to hit on now that we kind of have how things went is the 
how you guys acted on intuition and what led you to the decisions that you made and the trust that you guys had as a company to know that what the other person was doing was the right move and not feel the need to micromanage each other. So I, I guess, JB, I, we could talk about the, the trust that you have to have in your company, even with a detail guy, to be able to kind of decentralize and let them act as you think they will appropriately. Yeah, I mean, that, that being said, we're a fairly new company. I've just been over here since July, mm -hmm. so I'm still trying to get to know these guys and what their strengths and weaknesses is, just like they're doing with me. Um, also having the detail guy that we don't normally work with. You know what I mean? So we go through so much training here and so much, so much, like so many ideas and so many policies that we have that we rely on that I think a lot of it played itself out almost perfectly. Um, it, the way I look at myself, right, as the lieutenant is unless I see something horrendously wrong, mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop them from doing something as long as it's trying to meet one of the goals that we are trying to accomplish, which in this point is the life safety, right? That's the most important thing is this guy's life and anyone who's inside. And as long as everything we're doing is working towards that, unless I see something way out of place, I'm not going to pull them back. That's pretty much the trust that I, and I would have that with any, any person, you know what I mean? They train us so well here, um, that any guy I have, I'm, I'm not going to step on it. If they have an idea, as long as I see it, progressing towards the goals that we're trying to meet. And Zach and Borelli, can you tell me about like the, the intuitive decision-making? What do you think led you to those decisions or was there no thought process at all and you were just acting? No, I mean, previous training that we've had, you know, we've, we've cut a bunch of cars. It was the first time I ever cut a vehicle like this, like that, that box truck kind of set up, you know, he's sitting on top of the engine. There's almost no, no dash there. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, we're just we're just working. Borelli had the door pop super quick. We get up there, we realize uh, his his legs are stuck. We're gonna have to do something. So we started working with uh, the spreaders. Said, all right, let's let's try and get his left leg free uh, if we can do anything. You know what I mean? And we did. We we couldn't see anything. You know what I mean? I, I'm sitting in there. I have my hand on the tip of the spreaders to make sure I'm not catching his leg. You know. And I said, I, I think I got it. I'm going to give it a shot. And it went. His leg came out. We said, all right, next move. And then as, as we started to work on trying to get his right leg free, we're, we're trying to place the spreaders in different locations. We're, we're bouncing ideas off each other because we're like, dude, we, we can't see shit. We have no idea like how, how much his leg is actually trapped. And then the fire starts. And we're like, all right. And even B-Ball, B-Ball standing behind us. He's like, yo, this thing's going. And we just, we ditched the tools. We said, all right, let's 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 get on this dude. We start pulling. Borelli is at one point on top of him trying to like pull his leg out from the inside, you know, and nothing's working. And eventually the rescue shows up and they so, start throwing new ideas out there. You yeah, know? so I, just listening to you guys speak, I can kind of see the... I can kind of almost like feel the escalation of your emotions. Okay. So the, the question is for all three is, but it starts with, with JB, you know, JB, you talked earlier about how we're, we're very policy driven. And this is one of the things I gathered from this event that was kind of a, a little nuts was that, you know, when we go to Iraq, we have, you know, specific OGs to follow, right? When we go to fire, we get specific 
the OGs to, to, uh, to follow, and when we have a wreck that's on fire, we have OGs to follow. However, this, this didn't really fit into any of that box. So you, this call changed from a police incident that you guys witnessed to um, a car into a building, to a medical emergency, to a rescue, to a building fire, and, and eventually we had to do some shoring on this building. Um, can you talk about how your mind, how your mindset changed throughout that incident, and um, you know what what it kind of prepared you to be able to, uh, to deal with that on the fly? I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, so, like decision making process outside of policy. Oh uh, yeah. Well, when we pull up and we're thinking extrication, just like you said, like that's policy, um, and then things just start to get worse. So in my mind, I'm still thinking, all right, this is the only life hazard. This guy needs to be extricated. He's not going to get extricated if this car catches fire. So now we have to deal with this. Um, so it's definitely not policy for that, but it's, it's the next big thing, the next critical factor that could end up taking this guy's life. Um, and then the same thing when it started to extend into the building, I'm still thinking if this building catches, it's now going to engulf exactly where they're working and we're still not going to get the extrication done. So then we filtered into that mode. Now, granted, we don't have policies for all of that, but bits and pieces of each policy probably came into play to help out, just to help me figure out what I think the critical factors were to getting the extrication completed. I don't know if that answers it or not, but... Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, I got and something. To, to, Shotzi, to Shotzi's point here, how much as this incident is ramping up, does intuition play a part in this where you, you're you not necessarily relying on, you know, even what you're seeing in front of you or for policies, but you're, you, you're, you're watching and feeling a situation escalate and you're able to just react based on, on past experiences? Uh, I feel like the intuition uh, was a lot. I mean, everything that just started to, to unfold just started to jump out, almost like Shotzi was saying, where it was just compounding. And then you have another issue you have to deal with. But all the issues you had to deal with were still leading to that same goal of, of getting him out of there. But it was all playing on uh, playing. Probably a lot of intuition was going on. And Zach, you had something to add? Yeah, it's almost like we have these different policies, you know, and, and you kind of – Obviously, it's one singular incident, but I don't know if subconsciously if you can kind of just break it down into separate incidents. You know what I mean? Like, all right, there's there, we're working on vehicle extrication. All right, the building is on fire. You know, so not everybody is working on the building fire. You know what I mean? Like that was Captain Halk and Lieutenant Brown. They they noticed that. They were like, we got that. As the rescue guys and B-ball and myself were working on the extrication process, you know, and, and like uh, Lieutenant Brown says is we're prioritizing, you know, we're, we're saying, all right, this dude is going to burn to death in this vehicle. If B-ball does not keep putting water on it. All right. This dude's going to burn to death if we don't put the building fire out. So you're just kind of working through your brain, like subconsciously, you're not even really thinking about it. You're just like, Oh, Oh crap. Here we go. This is going to be something that's killing this dude. Yeah. In 30 seconds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, shit. That's a problem. Yes. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so let's go around individually. So 
it's possible that in the future someone finds themselves in a very similar situation, but it's it's very likely that someone in the future will find themselves in a rapidly escalating incident like this. So what do you think you could have done better? Or what recommendations do you think you would give somebody in their decision-making process to have a favorable outcome like you guys had? The prioritizing the problems that are coming at you and acting on the most severe ones to try and deal with the situation. Um, but first from our call in general, now I know that an extinguisher into the intake should kill the ignition to a vehicle, um, which would have stopped, would have turned it into just a regular extrication at that mm -hmm. point. So uh, on that, even, even something that isn't this extraordinary, it's easy to get distracted by things that aren't as important, but you, you all managed to avoid and ignore those distractions and only focus on the, the top priorities. I think uh, one of the big things was we had obviously Lieutenant Brown. He was he was back from the situation. He saw the whole picture. Same thing with B-Ball. He, I mean, he's sitting on the ground, looking at the building, looking at the truck, kind of getting a, a good picture of what's going on in the whole s scheme of things. Whereas Borelli was inside the truck. All he knew was, all right, there's a shit ton of smoke in here, and this guy's trapped. That's it. That's all he knew. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think as we get into situations like that, we got to remember, take that two, three seconds and get a good look. Even if you're, even if you're working on something, take a step back, maybe not even that far. Just, just look up, you know, cause that'll tell you, I don't think the, we realized the building was on fire until battalion chief Hawk pulled up. And I don't, I don't even think it was on fire at that point. I think it was 30 seconds to a minute after he was there. Yeah. Something the, like the that. The car hadn't even lit off by the time yeah. he pulled up. Yeah. The car lit off first and then, you yeah. know what I mean? It really started chugging. Yeah. Then yeah. lit off and then the building. So he was, when he was on scene, he said the same thing mm -hmm. that he just thought it was a uh, steam or smoke. You know any steam from it? I'll open this to anybody. <clears throat> I'll open this to anybody. Do you, would you have made any different decisions? I, I felt like it played out pretty well um the one thing we talked about afterwards which actually makes sense is we probably could have cut that door after we popped it we got so focused in that he was trapped at that point we started trying to make um uh, the dash roll uh and never actually finished taking that door um so i guess if it were to happen again i would probably have that door already removed by the time the rescue showed up um but then again everything was happening so fast that you know we just had to play it how it came yeah that's uh that's something that borelli and i said pretty much right after the incident. Um, and then I think actually we watched the video the next day on and Borelli mentioned that there was a cop holding the door and every, what, like 30 seconds, he let go of the door and the door hit you in the head. Yeah. Like, you know, so <laughs> just get out of the way. Yeah. And that's something basic, you know, that, that's basic extrication. But you're, you're, like, you're so focused on what's right in front of you yeah. that it, it's tough to, to manage those mm -hmm. external things that just are like slightly on your periphery. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So this will be more for uh, Borelli and also Zach, too. Borelli, you're about four months out. Zach, about two years from the academy. Uh, and can you talk about how what the instructors throw at you in the academy, if, if that had any impact on your preparedness and how you were ready for this? Oh, definitely. Um, 
with all the rescue training we got in the academy and the scenarios that we got over the 10 weeks, um, we haven't necessarily did a scenario exactly like this, but just the uh, intensity of scenarios that we would train on. And, uh, and sometimes you're thinking, oh, it's never going to be this intense. And then you get in situations like this, and it's like, oh, wow, that actually prepared me for it. I mean, even though nothing can – you can't compare a training scenario to a real thing where, oh, there's a fire underneath me right now, and you're getting hit with a hose line. But, um, no, it definitely prepared you. And working with guys that you've worked for for the last four months and the last ten weeks in the academy on calls like this, like me and Botch went to the academy together, and he's right next to me, so I know – I know Bosch is good to go. He's 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 good to work. So I know I have trust in him, and Captain Dorenzo's Captain the Rescue and Holmes. I've been working with for the last four months, so I just have trust in these guys that their training is better than mine. And we're you know, if they tell me to do something, just follow the order, and everything should go smoothly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the racks are still assholes. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Where are you, Zach? Uh, yeah, I'll touch on it a little bit. Like uh, I remember in the academy, it, it was just zero to 100 every day. You know what I mean? Like we're coming in, they're pushing us. There's no room for excuses. You know, it's it's you're working, you're getting the job done. There's a job that needs to be done. You're the only one that there, that's there to do it, you know? Nobody else is coming. Get it done. So... Cool. Oh, that sounds like he's looking for a rescue gig. <laughs> Nobody uh, else is coming. Uh, look, Absolutely look at that, not. Look at that tryout over there. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. Danny's not listening. Relax. JB <laughs> yeah. knows all you got to do is pay off somebody. That's, all. that's right. Empty <laughs> half the money in your bank account to go to Rope Tech on your weekend. <laughs> well, it's not going on a car, so. <laughs> it, it was confined space tech, all right? <laughs> So for all you guys, this obviously, um, you know, ramped up uh, really quickly and, you know, became a kind of a roller coaster of emotions uh, as you're as you're on the upswing of that. What what allowed you guys to I don't want to say calm down because these scenes aren't calm, but what what allowed you guys to kind of get recentered and and refocused on what needed to be done without um, people losing their minds on scene? I think the the recentering. I mean, it absolutely helped when the more resources started showing up. So when Chief Hauk and then the rescue showed up, um, it made me able to try and prioritize a different area. Uh, I believe that helped a lot in trying to recenter, so we weren't all just focused on the same thing, because there's so many things going on during this call. Well, uh, I, yeah, for for the first couple minutes, it was definitely chaotic. But um, like you're saying, to reset yourself and look at the situation, um, when when more tools got there, more people got there with more ideas about stuff, and everybody started talking to me about what's going on, it did calm me down. Because if people came in there freaking out, it would have just probably freaked me more. Been all gonged out on this. But when people are coming in, just talking to you, hey, what's going on? What do we need? What do we got? Hey, bring this over here. It starts to calm you down a little bit, and you're like, all right. It's not as bad as I think it is in the moment. I mean, it still might be bad, but, you know, every, everybody is, uh, is working for a good outcome, so it just kind of calms you down and, you, get put, you know, you go to work. It's almost like, like when you're there before everyone else gets there, like the, you have the weight of the world on your shoulders because it's only you, which I imagine would only add to your stress, but once other people start to show up, 
you start to rely on each other more and it can kind of diffuse that a little bit inside of your head. Yeah, like even when uh, Holmes came over and we were operating tools, just me and him, for a couple of seconds, it was I was with, uh, working the spreaders and I couldn't see anything. And then I feel Holmes come behind me. He starts operating tools. And I know, all right, there's a second pair of eyes here. He's working. I'm not by myself on this. So it just calmed me down a little bit, brought me back, and just continued the operation. Mm. Yeah, when... Uh well, there was a lot of stuff to be done and not a lot of people there. It was definitely stressful. And like Borelli said, when, when him and I were focused on that, those tasks right in front of us, I felt like I was pretty calm. And then next thing you know, the rescue comes, and I'm like, all right, cool. And then the fire starts. And then you can kind of see everybody, and, and you just start feeding off, all right, shit's getting real. So I think that was – it was like a like a wave almost. Mm-hmm. We were up, we were down because we had more resources, and then all right, the the situation oh, is de-escal or deteriorating, and this guy might burn to de- burn to death right in front of us. Yeah. Okay, so Battalion Chief Hauk just arrived. We got him in the mix now. Chief, can you tell me about your state of mind responding to this incident after listening to it unfold? Where you're listening, you're like ah shit, one of my ladder companies is now involved in a police incident. They're going to be tied up a bit to, okay, now this is a significant incident that I have to respond to, and I just listened to it unfold on the radio. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, my, my state of mind, I'm, I'm pretty calm, pretty calm going to it. Um, you know, the whole group of us were actually in the kitchen at threes. Um, you know, Captain Howe, Captain Dorenzo, Susan Chief DeLuca, we're all sitting there. We're listening to it go play by play. Um, and we all walked out. I mean, we all walked out to the bay. Walked out. I'm like, I'm getting my car. Um, the MSO got his car. Got the EMTs got in the ambulance. The rescue got in the use. Like, everybody was on the ramp of threes. Just like, hey, we just need to know where we're going. Because um, I played through my head. I'm like, I heard Lakeview, but I didn't hear Lakeview Dental. So I'm now playing through all the possibilities for Lakeview. And I'm like, why would he be there? And then finally I just said, well, I'm, we're going to go west. Like, we're going to go west and somewhere we'll see uh, Justin and the ladder and, and this incident. So, um no, going there, I always try to um, I try to hustle out the door. I try to get in the car, um, but I just play through the possibilities in my head on the way there. Um, I don't try to overthink it. I don't try to, you know, you just end up amping yourself up. You let your mind run away from you. I just, you know, I focus on getting there. I focus on my response. Um, honestly, there's a lot of times, um, like one of the things I'll, I literally, there's oftentimes I'll have a song in my head. Uh, that I'll that I'll sing in the song in my head, on the way there. That I'm that I'm focused on. It's it. it. Just keeps me off the. Well, it's a lot to manage. You're driving. Yeah, it's just you're yeah. trying to read the computer. You're working the siren, trying to yeah. trying to plan in your head how you think this is going to go. Yeah. It's a lot to manage for one person on the way there. Yeah. So you said you you listen. You kind of you do a song in your head. Do you have yeah. any other routines that you follow? Nope. Always I get in the car, pulled up on the MDC, pulled up on the map. And then, yeah, double-check my radio, take my radio off scan so I'm not on uh, echoing. And then... Oops. Not doing the will. Yeah, not doing the will. You're not hearing me five times. Um, no, and then I just focus on, on getting there, try to focus on listening to the radio, and just try and play through some of the possibilities in my head, like resources, things like that, that, that it might be. But, you know, until, until I get a secondary report from, from Justin, I'm not, I'm not jumping a gun, I'm not overdoing anything. Uh, the situation will play out when I get there. So, was it when I, you? I think the real question they want to know is, what's the song? 
<laughs> no, it, de- it depends, um, but it's almost always something. It's almost always metal. Like I have a list of, of songs on my phone that are job tracks. So. It's all from the Kill 'Em All uh, album. <laughs> so it might be harder than that. <clears throat> so when you arrived to this incident specifically, was it what you expected? Yeah, it was. It it was. You know, it was about what I expected to see at that incident. Um, I could tell, you know, right from nothing, nothing surprised me. Like, you know, I'm assessing it on the way there. Um, it looks like steam or exhaust. Um, but I could tell, you know, I know it's serious as soon as I pull up because JB just comes. I see him immediately look at me and start coming over. And I'm like, All right, he's got something to, he's got something to say. Um, I immediately get out of the car. I don't put my PP in or anything. I'm just like, yo, what do you got, JB? Because I know he's coming over to tell me it's bad. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, we'll just play. Let me get his rundown on it. Um, and then, then I'll make my decisions from there, what we need and what assets we need. So. And then, so you, you got that information from JB. Can you talk us through your decision-making process or there and how you prioritized the very limited resources you had at that time? Yeah. At that point, there's no fire. Um, I'm aware of what the, the possibilities are. I mean, the guy's foot's down on the accelerator. This thing's max RPM. It's clearly into the building. Don't know what's compromised. I'm like, all right, our worst case scenario. In my head, my worst case scenario is this thing catches fire. Um, and then because that just compresses our time. I'm like, I can deal. we can deal with an extrication. We can deal with getting this guy out. We can winch this truck. We can do all these things. A fire compresses our time. Like, that's our worst case scenario. B-Ball already, already has a line off. And I think I asked him, I'm like, hey, man, is your fire? He goes, no, I don't think so, not yet. But, you know, be nice to hear his, like, what drove him to think about that's forward thinking and be like, hey, we need a line here. Um, and then I prioritize. I see, um, you know, Borelli and Holmes are, like, on this guy. I think Borelli has him in, like, a full bear hug. Holmes has got him either by the head or the arm. And I'm like, all right, he's not coming out. All right, he's not coming out. Let's refocus. Uh, and it's funny because a lot of this stuff, and I, I talked to Holmes afterwards. He's like, I don't remember you ever saying that, Chief. And I'm like, hey, man, let's refocus. Let me check down my list of things that will buy us time, one of which is shut this truck off, right? And, and Borelli tells me, Chief, can't get to the keys, can't get to everything smashed. I'm like, okay. I'm like, let's get a dry cam. Let's get a CO2. Let's dump this and see if we can get the engine, the intake to pick up the CO2 and just kill this engine. Um, and then because if we shut this truck off, we probably don't have a fire. This, we have plenty of time to extricate. I'm like, I got the best people in the world. I, I, I got ladder two there. I got rescue coming. I know who's working. Um, at that point, I think I just stepped back. I, I knew I'm like, hey, I want the squad here. We get the squad here, too. It just gives us, I don't know, what do we got, 12, 12 studs at that point that are going to get the job done. Not worried about it. Um, so at that point, it's, it's you know, pretty routine. That's not routine, but it's as routine as it gets. I mean, I got, I got the Allowing assets. the guys to do the work that you know they'll do. I know they will do the work. Cripping's coming out. Tools are coming out. Hose lines on the ground. Which I'm like, okay. All we need now is time, and, and the dudes will get this guy out of the truck. So before you got here, we <clears throat> talked a lot about the, the trust that Justin has to have with his company to allow them to operate independent of, of what he's doing and knowing that they'll do the right thing. So you kind of had had to have the same trust in both your company officers there, but also the firemen that are working for them, that they're going to do the right thing, and I don't have to micromanage this incident and kind of direct every single action that's happening. Yeah, that is, and I've spoke... You know, before I've spoke to specifically you doing like 
acting battalions training or doing doing training with guys who are going to move up into this kind of role is it's you have to trust the people that work for you as a battalion like if if shit goes sideways jb puts his pack on jb goes and, and fixes it right and that's what well, as a captain that's what you do like hey man if shit's going sideways i'm gonna go find my guys as a battalion that's not an option right i have to 100 percent trust that these dudes are going to do the best possible thing. They're going to give me good information over the radio. Their reports are good, and I have to trust them. If I don't, if you don't trust them, you'll go crazy. You'd go crazy second-guessing every radio report. You'd want to be in the mix. I'd want to watch and tell them to do this and this and point and be like, no, put the spreader here. Like, I wish that was my job. That's not my job anymore. My yeah. job is to literally trust these dudes that they're going to give me and then give them the resources and the time to do their job and keep everybody else out of their way. That's it. it. It's 100%. Like, that's probably the hardest transition anybody will ever make going from captain to chief officer is to disconnect from the street, disconnect from fixing problems by getting in there and doing it, and, and trust your people. Trust them. So this was a bit of a, a smaller-scale incident in terms of resource dedication, but it was chaotic. Do you think you find managing an incident like this more difficult or a larger scale incident with, with many more resources that you have to keep track of? Uh, <clears throat> interesting. There wasn't, I wouldn't say I managed a ton in the first five to 10 minutes because the, the, the guys work and reacted to everything. Um, and they, they did it pretty seamlessly. They, the, probably the biggest thing, identified her I was like this is no longer a rescue this is a building fire and nobody coming to this realizes it's a building fire and I need somebody to lay a water supply or we're going to burn we're going to lose this guy's going to die and we're going to burn this building down um but other than that and then you know help Chief DeLuca's there right behind me so he takes the ops which allows me to focus strictly on what's going on right in front of me that's that's key um but I think you know managing a big incident no if you set the stage right um, and your people are disciplined, um, and you establish that expectation with them. Like, hey, man, when I say do this, this I mean do this. If I say, you know, if I give you some latitude, then then I expect you guys to make decisions. If you establish that early, managing isn't hard. Um, you know, you got to set those expectations early. So whether it's big, it's just, you know, dealing with more resources. Um, this was mostly just chaos for that first oh, maybe 10 minutes. Ten minutes. Once the fire died down, it got easier because I could see everybody again. I could I could get a handle on what's going on, but there wasn't a whole lot of directing resources. Um, there wasn't a time to do it. Their dudes were just reacting to something they saw, covering it, fixing a problem, making sure we had things done. Um, and then that was nice. Like I said, having Chief Delugadero was good too because he's thinking of thinking of things too. Like it's just assigning the squad as a truck. Um, for the firefighting yeah. end of things. Like, huge. Like, I didn't bring them there to be a truck, but both my trucks, my rescue and my truck, are heavily engaged in extrication operations, and we really need guys inside to act like a truck. Um, all right, we'll just use a squad. Because if I ask for a truck, it's, I don't, God knows how many minutes out for mutual aid. So, um, yeah, it was pretty clean. It was good. Chief, yep. Chief you've talked um, so far about, um, like, in terms of, like, a synopsis of the call and if, from your perspective, up until the point that JB um, comes up and gives you a face-to-face. -face. Can you kind of run through the rest of the incident from your perspective um, and your decision-making process? Yeah, so 
you know, face-to-face, JB, he gives me the rundown, tells me what he's got, um, walk up, like to see it with my own eyes, see what, see what guys, what actions are being taken, because my goal then is to kind of like peel off so those guys can focus on their actions and I can backfill things that need to get done. Um, so I give that call to rescue, advise them, you know, hey, just come head on, buck traffic, come head on, you know, we got one heavily trapped, you're going to go to work. Um, give county the brief, you know, what I have, commercial vehicle into a building, one occupant driver trapped, buildings evacuated. Um, they asked me, I think at that point county asked me if I wanted a full USAR assignment, I, I told them a hold USAR. Uh, in my head, uh, I'm thinking, I was thinking that Camden was coming. And that's one of those things, like, you're trying to watch the MDC, trying to watch things as I'm en route, and there's things popping up on that MDC en route. And one of the, I thought one of them was that they had sent Camden. They hadn't. Um, I think it was the fire alarm. They ended up calling me about the fire alarm, um, and that's probably what that was that popped up on the MDC. So I said a whole USAR thinking I have Camden uh, coming. I don't really need Winslow driving from Winslow for this. It's either <laughs> going to happen or it's not going to happen in the next 20 minutes. By the time Winslow gets here, it's going to be done deal. Um, yeah, so I give rescue the report, turn around, walk around the side to look inside the building, get a good visual of what's going on inside the building. There's no fire at this point. I, I talked about the conversation I had about, like, play, play through these possibilities to get this truck shut off, um, walk back to the car, give Chief DeLuca uh, a quick synopsis of what's going on, what the plan is, and at some point, and, and you guys who have watched the battalion's video, I picked up on it from my dash cam. It's at, when the fire starts, there's a point where I'm walking away and you see a clear puff. Like, you see something happen. I'm assuming that's the flash fire that, that initiates the fire. And I turn around. And for the life of me, I couldn't remember what made me turn around until I watched the video. I'm like, I must have heard something or, or some perspective. I turn around and walk back, and I ask, I think, Brian Ball. I'm like, is there a fire? And he says, something on fire under the truck. And I'm sure these guys have talked about it already, how very, very quickly um, it escal- escalates that it's not just a fire in the, under the truck. It's now a fire involving the cab of the truck, and it's clearly a fire inside the building. Um, that, and it, it was, I think I, I told Chief to look at Flash. Like, it was clearly rolling around uh, inside the office building. Um, and I walk back. This is what, the point where I decide, hey, like, I need to get a water supply. I need to get... An inch. We need to upgrade this to a building fire. Um, it's a brief conversation. I got on E-Stop's call, uh, call Sean, call NG-22, and then Chief DeLuca yells at me. He's like, hey, just get on fire ground. You take care of this. Um, walk back face-to-face with him. I just tell him, hey, man, building's on fire. I need a company to lay a water supply. We need to ship, you know, we need to prepare for firefighting. He says, okay. And he literally asked me, he goes, building's on fire? I said, yes, building's on fire. We need to treat this like a building fire. Um, that's when I got on fire ground, directed Lieutenant Carlin to, uh, I, I hadn't done any communication with, uh, Captain Dorenzo, the rescue guys at this point. My goal was to try and make sure every, it was articulated now that we're dealing with a fire. The rescue guys are going to do their job. Um, I thought it was very clean. They folded right into the mix. I got two companies working on getting this guy out of the truck. Um, I wanted to make sure that we were addressing the fire problem because we're either, one, you're going to watch this guy burn to death in this truck. Two, we're going to burn this whole building down, which was not in the scope of things I had planned on doing that day. So um, I'm just trying to articulate that. And then I walk around. I'm like, I'm going to put my turnout gear on. At this point, like, now I need to put my turnout gear on because I literally look around. There's 
there's eight people on the scene. Nine if you count the safety officers. So there's nine people working, ten with me, and I'm not in my turnout gear. I'm like, I need to put my turnout gear on. Um, so I put my turnout gear on quickly, uh, walk back up. So now I can be close to the action. And really, my, my focus at that point is I've articulated to Chief DeLuca what we need. Um, until people show up, the, the only thing I can do is watch. And my, my, I was kind of hyper-focused at that point on watching um, Borelli work, Cam Dorenzo work, listening to uh, you know my brother and JB inside on the hose line. I'm intimately listening to the fire ground, and I'm just watching – you know, kind of, I don't want to say being a safety officer, I'm just watching for the one red flag that tells me it's done, it's over, get the hell away from the truck, it's it's done. Um, and that's all I was doing. I was kind of focused at that point. Um, you know, uh, 500 Jackson and Walters off the rescue that day were act, they had engaged in the winching operation. We had, I don't know how many sets of tools working on the extrication. I'm like, everything is going, I don't have anything else to interject here. The guys are fighting the fire, guys are extricating somebody from a truck. Guys are um, trying to winch the vehicle. Like, uh, you've checked all of my game plans off, um, save, you know, maybe one or two that I had in my back pocket that I wasn't even going to worry about because they take too long. The fire was either going to kill this guy or the fire was going to go out. Um, so I'm just hyper-focused at that point. I'm like, hey, I, I'm looking for – I'm looking to pull the plug. Um, and that goes back to trust. Um, you, got, you know, I got to trust – the guys on the street have to trust me. And then I have to trust them that, um, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to let, Captain Dorenzo's not going to let Borelli kill himself. Um, and I'm figured, like, I know he doesn't have a hood on. I know he doesn't have a mask on. Worst case scenario, he passes out. I don't think he'll make it that far. If he starts getting burned, he's going to come out of the truck. I know he's not going to hang out that long in a truck to get burned. Uh, but my biggest fear is, like, hey, if there's a flash fire, like, dude, he's, he's in, a, in a bad, bad way. Um, if we have a flashover or we have something like that happen. So... Um, that was just, I was hyper focused on like hey the the, the stop right and um, you talk about this in like risk and risk management and things like that is hey if if all I ever do is hype, micromanage and never let these dudes take risk then they're not going to trust me right I want Borelli to trust me that when I get the hell out of that truck that he knows it's done right that it's over and done with and we're shifting gears to another operation and that that was my focus like hey I want I'm just watching I'm looking for this red flag and otherwise. I'm letting these dudes work. I think that's uh, that's a good lesson. Talking about making sure when your guys, when you say something, your guys know you're for real. I think that could be a good lesson for future acting and uh, battalion chiefs. Yeah, even what, company officer. You could take yeah. that right back to the company officer level. Man, is is just building the trust that, hey, if I say do this. Like, I really mean, and I didn't start that as a battalion. I started that as a company officer. Like, hey, man, if I say do this, like, I mean do this. Yeah. Uh, because, and there's a reason behind it. And on a fire scene, I don't have time to explain to JB or Borelli, like, why I said stop. I said stop. And it needs it. But they trust, I trust them enough that they're going to stop when it's time. Um, you know, and I've learned that. I've had enough incidents, close call incidents with my own person, uh, with my officers and my firefighters, um, that that's trust there. And I always end that, you know, we always follow up. Um, and we followed up on the hot wash on this one. I said, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if Borelli would have said, Chief, he's dead, then I would say, okay, we shift gears, right? Or, Chief, I can't do this anymore, then that's okay. Like, you don't have to. I don't expect you guys to go until they die. I expect guys to go until they can't go anymore. 
And if they say it's over, it's over. Like, I would trust JV to say, hey, man, this guy's done. There's no chance we're getting him out of here. Um, but, yeah, from that, I mean, it was once the fire started to go get knocked down, once the fire, the smoke condition improved, I'm like, oh, we got time again on our side. We can start focusing more um, on the extrication end of it. Everything can slow down a little bit. We can we can refocus, and it buys guys times to make the the cuts and the spreads that they need to make. Um, still some you know still some work to be done inside. Still some some uh, uh, you know overhaul to be done, opening up, checking for extension. Somebody's got to check the basement, utility, all those things. I start looking at other things other than just watching these guys work and, and being hyper focused on their safety. Um, but I thought it was good. I broke it down. You know, I tried. You know, there's weird things, things you don't normally do. You know, I got the safety officer assigned as the, as the interior division. That's not something we normally do. But at that point, I literally at one point had three officers operating as the interior firefighting force um, just because of the way, you know, apparatus showed up. Um, so, you, you know, you divide up and you assign people to, to fix the problems that you have going on. Um, I didn't want to have to focus on the rescue and the firefighting end of it. If I assign a captain to manage that firefighting interior, and hey, just tell me what you need, and I'll give you what you need. Otherwise, I'm out here watching this, this, these, all these other moving pieces going on. Um, so yeah, it was, like I said, it happened. It escalated very quickly, calmed down almost equally as quickly, um, and then was done. And it was, once the guy got out, it was it was done. Um, if I had, you know, if I'm looking at it from my perspective, once that fire went down, and once once everything got better, is I would have, I could have just helped de-escalate. There was still a pace. I watched. I could see the the stress. Borelli, Cam Dorenzo, Botch. Well, like these guys working. I could have been like, "Hey, you guys got some time. Like we got this fire. Take a deep breath. Like it's not it's not absolutely critical. No, he is critical. The guy's burned. We don't know what his airway status is. But I'm like, hey, you guys now have time. Like if you need five more minutes, it's okay to take five minutes." And, and slow your extrication down a little bit. That's probably like something I looked at afterwards. I'm like, man, I could have just I could have stepped up and been like, yo, we got the fire, we got everything, you guys got some time. If you need to slow down a little bit, slow down and think about it. So that reminds me, <clears throat> uh, all all of us in the room recently went through the Human Performance Initiative about a year ago that the department ran, and one of the big things that they talked about was when you see others in your company or others that you're operating with at that level, the easiest way to recenter them is to just say, hey, like, take a pause, put your hand on their shoulder, like, hey, we got this, like, we're good. So it's, it sounds, that's, that's kind of sounds like what you're talking about. Can you think of any other lessons that we might have talked about or maybe you learned from the human performance initiative that you, that you applied even unconsciously to this incident? Uh, I don't, I, I like saw, there's clearly, and I'm sure these guys already touched on it, just like time distortion is one clearly in that, like all these guys, like, when I bring the car video over and I show them the video and I'm like, you know, fire was like five minutes, right? That fire seemed like 15 minutes of, of action. It was five, really five minutes of, of very intense, but in that time frame, it's that time distortion. Um, even some of my radio reports, like I'm very conscious I do a good job of like inventory and things I do and say, but to, in my head they were out of order. Like when I actually watch a battalion's video, I'm like, that's, I'm like, I thought I said, I thought I was still in the car when I gave that report. Um, 
there's certain things I did. I'm like, mm, I'm like that was like in my head playback. I'm like they're out of order because of the compression of that incident. And like I said for me that doesn't even come into play until the fire. Like I'm to me this is a normal, not normal, but it's a normal. So it's expected of me to show up at this incident, be calm, do my thing, until the fire happens, and I'm like, all right, things just spiraled out of control, right? And there's no recovery to it because I don't have anybody to. It's either do or it's show or go, I and mean, it's it. It's, we're either going to win or lose right here because there's no no extra companies, there's no box alarm coming, there's nothing. I got two companies here, and myself and a safety officer. So it's either show or go. That's when the time compression really comes into play, where I'm like, this seems like an eternity waiting for people to show up. So. Um, but like I said, I, I remember things I said. I don't remember like that audio uh, exclusion, but the timeline for him is out of sorts until I actually watched the video. And I'm like, man, I was like, I had that at a different point in the event. Um, that was the, the big one. And like I said, afterwards, like thinking about it, like, hey, like once, it, once the fire is, well, I'm, I calm down. Like I'm, I'm no longer on edge. And guys were like, oh, we're like, like you get, I'm like, I don't get stressed out. My biggest stress was like, I was well aware that this dude was probably going to burn to death in this truck. And I'm like, I've been there, and I've seen that. It's very unpleasant. And I'm like, is Fafford Botch, Fafford Barrett, like, have these young dudes ever experienced this? And I'm well aware, like, these dudes are potentially going to go through this, right? You're going to sit here. These guys are going to pour all their energy into this. And at the end, they're going to watch this guy burn to death in this truck in front of them with nothing else they can do about it. And I'm stressed for them. I'm like... I'm already in my head playing out, like, what is the impact of that event for the shift, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm like, it's either the fire's going out or the dude's coming out of the truck or the dude's burning the death in the truck. And I'm in my head, I'm playing ahead, like, what's the impact of on these guys if, if this plays out this way? Because I've seen firefighters not respond to that very well, not able to recover from that, not in a short order of time. Um, so that was one of my biggest stresses was like, Hey, like, are these dudes prepared for pour everything into it and lose and, and watch it play out that way. So, um, but yeah, I I think like I said, for me, like, just like you said, um, like I said, it's that take a deep breath and just that hand on the back was walk up and be like, yo, you guys got time. Like if I would have said that, just like when I walk, roll up on a scene. I can tell these it's bad just by how fast these dudes are moving. It's just me walking and just saying, okay, like this is what we're going to do about it. Try this, try this. If I'm calm, it, it reflects back on those guys. And they're like, oh, if the Chief's calm, then it really must not be that bad, right? I'm trying to project that out. So I, that was one I looked at afterwards. Like, oh, man, I could, I could have just slowed these dudes down. But like, hey, man, you guys got time. Because I'm sure, you know, in Borelli's head, he is still, he's still in that – that environment he just came out of. He is still in that high-intensity environment um, that he was in. So, also, Justin and Zach, do you think that either consciously or subconsciously you, you applied any of the things that we learned in the MPI, or do you think that retrospectively you could have done any of those things to, to better your performance? Just based on the, the MPI program itself, um, they really focused on, like, when people mess up, like not really breaking their balls about it constantly, but trying to show them a different way and show them like how you can help them out. Um, and after every incident, even regular incidents, like it could be alarm systems. I'm super hypercritical on my actions and the company's actions. 
and I will replay the stuff over and over again on how we could have done things better. But it actually took that program probably for me to actually say like, to grab them aside, like my company afterwards and say, Hey, like you guys did a hell of a job. I'm not used to like delivering that kind of praise. I'm usually <laughs> trying to say like, Hey, usually an asshole. yeah, we fucked this up. We could do this better next time, you know? <laughs> and, uh, from that program, I think I may have said it like four times that day where I was like, listen, there was nothing else you guys could have really done that I could have asked for. Like you guys did a hell of a job. And I think it's important for people to hear that. Mm-hmm. Uh, being in the show for spot. I definitely took some tactical pauses when I was transitioning from going into the building, taking a look when I came out, going up to the car, taking a look when I stepped back to start helping set up the the winches, you know, and then like just kind of taking that that two, three seconds, like, all right, this is what we got. You know, this is what I'm going to do now. Recentering yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I apply. I mean, you know, from me. I, have, I apply a few things out of there. I think, like, for the benefit for me was, you know, getting out, hang out with Chief Fascinelli um, the first time we did it on a little sidebar. And then, you know, hanging out with him. Took him on a fire the last time we were there. Um, and, like, some of the stupid, like, the little things that he does, like, I don't do those same things. Like, he talks about having a bottle of water because he has, you know, he struggles with the radio. But, like, you know, having a song in my head that I'm, that's something that I do. It's just while I'm driving there, it's a focus. Um, you know, it's something that, that I do. That's my focus. It's like, just I'm just getting in the zone. I'm just singing the song. I'm getting in the zone. To get in there, and like normally I put my turn off gear on. I started doing that, right? Because it stops me from getting on the radio and bothering these dudes. Um, and so I, I get there and I put my turn off gear on. Like, I, I have these, those are my tactical pauses. This was one where like I see. JV running, I'm like, all right, well, I better get, I need to get out of the car and go, if he's coming over here, it must be important. So, um, but again, I always tell guys, like, hey, was there a good time for me to put my turnout gear on? No, but it's an opportunity, like, this is escalating, I'm going to put my turnout gear on. That 30 seconds is actually 30 seconds of tactical pause while I'm putting my gear on. I'm thinking about, all right, what's my next play? What's my next course of action? If this doesn't work, what am I doing? And then I get my gear on, and then I move forward, and I'm like, okay, now I'm refocused. Now I come back with a different perspective. Um, So there are all little things that you take away from the class that actually, they work. They have value. I've used that tactical breathing for quite some time. That, uh, the breathing just through your nose going um, up the stairs for like a high-rise job. Uh, During it, once it starts, for the life of me, I can't bring those tactical pauses Everything goes out the window. Yeah, it feels (laughs) like there's too much going on, and I need to get too much shit done for me to stop and breathe. But uh, leading up to everything, I've used a lot of their stuff. Like I said, I was close. I would just say, like, I don't want everybody to think like, like it's my job to be calm, and that's what I do. Yeah. Like, do I? Is it stressful? Yes, it's stressful. Like, don't think, like I don't know. Sometimes you're like, dude, how do you, how do you manage that? How do you what's called? I'm like, I have to consciously tell myself that I can't. I can't stress out. Whether that's like, even if that's a mantra I do, like, I don't know, maybe it is. Maybe it's like, yo, you can't, you can't gong out. You can't stress out. Like, doesn't matter. Like, you have to put the face on and be the guy that's calm because even if that, that might be the tactical breath for JB or for Holmes or forever. Your calm voice might be what brings them back. Yeah. Guys always, all the time, like, how do you sound so calm on the radio? I'm like, I don't feel it. Like, I want you to understand, like, it's not, I feel stressed out. Like, 
if I, I talk about the Keystone, you know, when the front of the building blew off, um, and the next day I was actually, I was teaching a class with, with Sean's dad, and he's like, man, you, like, you let me skip a beat on the radio. I'm like, dude, but the mic is shaking in my hand. Uh, but in my head, like I said, whether that's like a, a quasi, like a mantra I teach myself, or that's that meditation or whatever, it's just like, you have to be calm. I have to be calm. I have to be calm. I have to project this. Almost like a, I don't want to say it's like a self-imposed um, punishment, but it's like, hey, you have to do this. You can't afford to not focus. I can't afford to let it get away from me. I can't afford, because if it gets away from me, like if he, if JB sees me panic when I pull up, what's the, what's the impact to him? Done. It's, like, the whole thing's done. done. He literally says, fuck me. Yep. Yeah, the whole thing's done. If the chief, if the chief says it's bad, then we're in, like, we're I can't, for it. Right, I can't let on that it's, and I don't want to downplay it, because I literally, I don't want to downplay that incident and say, like, with, like when I, in the beginning when you said, hey, what was it like when you got there? I'm like, it's it's just an incident. It, it To me, I'm like, in my head, this is just an incident. It's a problem I have to deal with. I can't overthink it, because it, it is what it is. It, it, this is, it's my job to deal with incidents. Um, and then I don't want to downplay it and be like, it's not, it was a significant incident. I literally told these guys at the end, I'm like, I could see it on some of their faces the, the burnout, like these dudes looked beyond stressed out. And at the end of the day, I'm like, you guys sent him alive, right, to the hospital. The guy went, left here alive, not only alive, conscious, and went to the trauma center. I'm like, I will argue that in almost any other locale in Canada County, that dude dies, burns to death in that truck, right? There's a lot of things that worked in his favor. There's a whole shit ton of luck that day. But I'm like, I would argue that 90%, 99% of Camden County, that doesn't happen. That That's a fatal accident and a, and a pretty significant building fire. And at the end of the day, the dude's executed. And when we talk about plan to win, like, there's not, that's it. Like, they put everything they had into winning. And it worked out. And it what worked was out. it? About 20 minutes, right? For 20, everything to come 20, under control? Right around 20. There's 20 minutes of dash cam. I think the county marked the execution time at 18-something. But, I mean, there's about 20 minutes of dash cam footage um, that of and you see the guy come out and he's going on the stretcher and you see he's conscious and which we'll call it and I'm like you, you put a lot out there um, and then you know for the guys at the end you know I know nobody wants to nobody wants to be the guy that says I you know there's an issue here but you know when I'm going around I gotta force Borelli to go go get his, his pulse ox checks so like hey man I just want to make sure that you don't, you didn't take two. I I saw where you operated, right? I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I asked him like seven times if he was burned, and then I would check him every time because I knew he wouldn't tell me if he was burned. So I'm like, <laughs> I gotta physically like look at him while I'm walking around because he's not gonna be the guy to be. I'm not gonna be the first guy to say I got burned, right? Then it's my job just to make sure these dudes are all right, right? At the end of the day, these dudes are all right, and if and if that guy died, would have been a whole different. Are you all right, right? And that. You know, we have we have avenues for that. And hey, you might say you're all right that day, and then you might you might not be all right. So, but like I said, I don't want to downplay. It. I don't want the guys downplay. It. Like from, you know, it's hard sometimes um, to to express like what from my perspective of what I do. But like I said, whether it's whether that's a, a meditation or not, like I said, that you have to be calm. I have to be calm. You just listened to part one of a two-part series in which members of the CHFD reflect on the decisions and actions at an occupied vehicle into a building with a building fire at Lakeview Dentistry on Route 70 in Cherry Hill. 
Part 2 of this series will be released in the coming weeks and feature the reflections of Rescue Company 13 and other members on scene that day. Thank you for listening. You are listening to The Report, a Cherry Hill Fire Department podcast. For more information on the podcast and other department initiatives, reach out to the CHFD Training and Safety Division.